Good morning. Today is Friday, May 20th, 2022. We have in this week's Torah portion one of the most frequently applicable mitzvahs of the entire Torah. It affects behavior that comes up continuously every day of our lives. And it is a subject that needs constant reinforcement because there's so many different examples of it. Some parts of it are not so intuitive. And we just have to keep reminding ourselves in order to be able to stay in accordance as much as possible with what the Torah wants us to do. So in this week's Torah portion, we have two verses that seem to be very similar, but our rabbis explain to us they're talking about two different areas of human behavior. First, we have a Pesach that says in our parsha Bahar, Al-Sonu Ish Es Achiv. One person should not oppress their fellow. And the specific context of that verse has to do with buying and selling fields. If you're buying a field, if you're selling a field, don't oppress your fellow. Pay the fair price. Don't overcharge. Don't try to cheat the other person. Pay a fair price. Okay, that's very important. And there is a wider context to that. Our rabbis widen the context beyond just purchasing a field to any kind of overcharging, any kind of mistreatment in a financial way. We have to make sure that our business dealings are proper. The amount that we charge for something should be proper. And the Talmud goes to great lengths to give us uh, uh, guidelines for how to figure out how much we're allowed to charge for certain items, what's considered reasonable profit, what is unreasonable profit. Okay, so that's a financial area of life, which is very, very important, that we have to treat each other fairly, no mistreatment, no overcharging. Fine. Then there's another Pasuk. Vlosonu ish es amito. And one person should not mistreat their fellow. Almost exactly the same words. And our sages explain this is a very different aspect. This is a very different realm of life. This refers to onoas dvarim, mistreating someone through words, using words in a way that causes someone to feel bad. We're not talking about necessarily lying. We're not talking about necessarily the Shon Hurrah, speaking negatively or gossiping. We're talking about using words in a way that makes another person feel bad. Causing pain to another through words. And it could not only be words, it could be gestures, it could be writing. And this is unfortunately so common. And there are so many examples of this. That it's important to review on a regular basis, what some of the examples are. Just a few of the examples. Let's take a look at them this morning. And these will stand as guideposts of other areas that we need to be careful about. Our sages tell us that there is a prohibition of gezel shena, stealing someone's sleep. If I'm with somebody in the same room or in the same house or the same area and they're sleeping and 
Okay, so if it's time to get up for shul, and they told me they want me to wake them up to get up for shul, okay, I have to wake them up. But under other circumstances, it's not right for me to do something that causes somebody else to be awake, that causes them to lose their sleep. Gezel Shana, even if it's unintentional. And it's interesting how our rabbis use this phrase, Gezel, stealing sleep from someone. It's a serious offense, and we need to be careful in our personal private behavior that we're not even inadvertently causing somebody else to lose sleep or to otherwise be inconvenienced. This prohibition of anas dvarim, of causing someone to feel bad through our speech, applies even to children, even to your own children. Yes, of course, there is a mitzvah of chinuch, of educating children and disciplining children. But it's very easy to step over the line into a put-down, God forbid, calling a name, God forbid, losing one's temper, God forbid. These are all prohibited under all circumstances. We should never be causing embarrassment to a child, especially our own child. We should never be expressing anger to a child, especially our own child. That's all within the category of onaz dvarim, causing pain through words. There's a famous example that's made into a song that many of us are familiar with. But it starts with a passage in the Talmud. The Talmud says, if you go to a wedding, all right, there's a bride, there's a groom, everyone's happy. The Talmud asks the following question. Literally, it means, how do you dance in front of the kala? How do you dance in a way that gives joy to the bride? But our rabbis understand that this the wording of the question is meant not only about dancing, it's also about verbal activity. It's about what do you say? What do you say to a bride and groom that will help them to um, be more in love with each other at the wedding, to be excited and joyful at the wedding. What do you say? Now, so, you know, if the bride and groom are the most beautiful, the most wonderful, the most intelligent, the most, right? So if that's the, the case, so then you say beautiful, intelligent, uh, creative, all right? You could say all those things. But, I mean, let's just be honest for a second. Not everybody can be the most. What happens if you have a groom who, all right, he's a nice guy, but he's not exactly the smartest, the sharpest knife in the drawer. So what do you say? Or person is, okay, I don't want to give other examples because I'll be violating the same thing that I'm saying. But So what do you say? So Beishamai says, Kala Kamoshihi, you got to tell it like it is. And if you don't want to talk about the person's nose, because that's not their best feature, stay away from the nose and talk about some other feature that you can say is nice. That's Beis Shammai. Beis Hillel says, Kala na'a This bride is beautiful and gracious and wonderful. So they asked in the Talmud, but is that really true? And they answered, yes, to her chasan, to her groom, 
Yes, she's the most beautiful woman in the world. And he is the most wonderful person in the world to her. So there's no point in saying something that is going to make someone feel bad. You should say something that makes people feel good. Now, if the question comes up before they get engaged and someone asks your honest opinion because they're trying to decide, should I continue with this person? And you have something to say that you want to point out, well, maybe this is an issue you should consider. So then you have an obligation to do so. And we've discussed before in other contexts or guidelines of what to say and how to say it. But once they're married, they're married. They're not going to, you know, they're married. They decided they want it. So the only thing for you to say is, wow, what a lucky man you are. What a lucky girl you are to have this fine person. That's the only thing there is to say. Anything else would be onastvara. And by the way, that applies to um, other activities in life. No comparison to marriage, but let's say you buy something. Someone comes to you and says, oh, how do you like my, how do you like my new shirt? I just got a new shirt. How do you like it? Well, it depends. If you're in the store and the person tries it on and says, I'm not sure whether to get this or not. I'm not sure. What do you think? How do you like this shirt? Should I buy it or not? Well, if you think that they really want your honest opinion, you can give your honest opinion. But once they bought it, they obviously decided that they liked it. Now, it may be that I would not have chosen that for myself. It could also be that I think it's absolutely the ugliest thing that I've ever seen in my life. But you chose it and you're not going to return it. You're already wearing it. You're not going to return it. So it's very, it looks good on you. It looks good. on. Find something to say. Don't say something negative. Sometimes a person does a favor for you and you really don't need it. Sometimes a person brings you a, a bottle of water, which is a very nice favor. They thought you were thirsty. They thought that you needed some water. They brought you water. Okay, they happen not to notice that you just happen to have a bottle of water right in front of you, but they didn't see it. So the truth is you don't really need that bottle of water. But to tell them they went to do a nice favor for you, they didn't know you had a bottle of water. You have to thank them profusely as if you needed that bottle of water because you're thanking them for their effort, for their intent. And their intent was to do a beautiful, selfless act. Sometimes it happens that a person comes and tells you good news. Sometimes it happens. And you're very happy. Oh, thank you for telling me. That is wonderful. I'm so happy to hear the good news. Two minutes later, somebody comes in and tells you the same thing. All right, all right, thanks, but I, I, I know, I heard it already. That's not nice. That's onastvarim. You're making them feel bad. They're coming to you. They're excited to give you the news. They know you're going to be excited to hear the news. You have to be excited. Okay, so you have to be excited a second time, maybe a third time, maybe a fourth time, maybe a 125th time. But you have to be excited in relation to the person's desire to do this favor for you to tell you the news. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so appreciative. Thank you very much.
There's a prohibition. It's mentioned in the Talmud. We are not allowed to remind a person of their past misdeeds. So, the classic example of this is a person who, in their earlier life, was on a different path, away from morality, away from spirituality, away from goodness. And then they made a drastic change, and now they're trying to really live in a very different positive way. It is prohibited to say to something, you think you're such a tzaddik. Remember, a few years ago, you were in the gutter, whatever it was. You're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to make a person feel bad by reminding them of things that they're trying to overcome, that they're trying to, to change. So that's a classic example that's mentioned in the Talmud, but there's a much wider category of the same thing. And that means even between spouses, for example, parents and children, something happens. And you ask forgiveness. I was wrong. I asked forgiveness. And you grant forgiveness. It's got to be over. And over means you never bring it up again. If you bring it up again, that means it's not over. Now, if the person was not sincere when they asked for forgiveness or they didn't ask for forgiveness, okay, then that's going to linger. That's a problem. We've spoken about that in the past. But if a person sincerely asked forgiveness and they really felt bad, they, they regretted what they did and they apologized and they asked for forgiveness, so you have, and you're going to accept their forgiveness, that's it. It's got to be over. That means you never, ever, ever bring it up. And that, of course, is one of the big problems in marriages. Because when there's a dispute between, let's just say, between a husband and a wife, and sometimes, all too often, one spouse will say, oh, you always forget to, whatever it is, take out the garbage. Here's the thing. If you're upset with me because last night I didn't take out the garbage, tell me I'm upset with you that last night you didn't take out the garbage. If you're upset with me that my whole life I've always been inconsiderate to you, I can't defend myself against always being inconsiderate. I can defend myself against this specific action. If it's in the past, let it be in the past. Let go of, in the, of what it's in the past. All right, there's an issue here. Let's deal with this issue. But don't use that as an excuse to bring up every single other thing that happened going back years and years and years. All of these prohibitions I want to point out apply even in private when no one else is present. And that means especially between spouses, between parents and children. If there would be other pre people present, that makes it a more serious prohibition where you're embarrassing someone in public. That's much more serious. But this prohibition applies even in private. And it's not related to intent. Very often a person says, I, I didn't think you would be uh, offended by that. But that's not an excuse. That's not a defense. You have to think, what do I think that person, what I want myself to be called that, what I want myself to have that said to me. And that, by the way, is a very simple standard. What would I feel like if that thing was said, if those words were said to me? 
There's an interesting example, and it's become much more common in our day, actually. The Talmud says it's prohibited to ask a, a, a clerk in a store the price of an item or to ask about an item for sale in the store if you have no intention of buying it at that store. And this, unfortunately, is common. There are people, they want to buy something online, but of course you want to try it on first. So some people, and it's unscrupulous, it's, it's not right, but some people, they'll go to a store, the store has the item. They'll go to the store, they'll try it on, they'll ask the salesman uh, questions about it, and then they'll say, okay, I'm going to think about it. And then they go home and they order it on uh, online for three, centi- three pennies less. They save money. But it's not right because, first of all, you're giving this uh, a salesperson the feeling maybe they're going to make a sale and you have no intention of, uh, of buying something. Every time a customer comes into a store, the, the, the salesperson has a feeling, maybe now I'm going to make a sale. But you're really leading them on. It's not right. That's in the category of onos dvar. What you could do is you could go into a store and you could say to the store, I need to say in advance, I'm not going to buy anything here. If you would like me not to look around, I'm happy to leave. I just want to look around, but I'm not going to buy anything. Okay? If you want to do that, that's fine. Years ago, there was a store in New York. Barney's. It was a great store, great men's store. It branched out into other things. Unfortunately, it's closed. And years and years ago, if you went to Barney's, at the entrance, they had a glass bowl filled with little pins. And the pin said, just browsing. So you could put, take a little pin and put it on your clothing. And then all the salespeople knew they wouldn't approach you. They wouldn't ask you any question. You're just browsing. If you want to ask them a question, of course you can ask them a question. Normally you come into the men's suit department. So the three or four salesmen come up to you. Can I help you? Can I show you something? But with the pin, you, uh, they leave you alone. They leave you alone until I, I never, I never asked the question. Did they do this based on this passage in the Talmud that I don't know, but it was a, a sensitive thing. It's forbidden to call a person by a nickname that is derogatory. And derogatory is even if you don't think it's derogatory. Derogatory is what the person thinks. And that means even when everyone is calling someone by a nickname and the person doesn't even seem to mind, you need to ask that person. Is it okay to call you this name or would you prefer some other name? And let me go wider as a general matter. And this is so appropriate and relevant in our society. We should be referring to people the way they want us to refer to them. There are certain words and names for groups, for uh, cultural groups, for ethnic groups. And sometimes those groups change the name that they want to be called. But they're allowed to change it. In a certain era, a certain word might be acceptable. In a different era, that word is not acceptable to us. It makes us uncomfortable. I am required to speak to you the way that you feel is respectful. 
And if I use a word or a term referring to you that you don't want, then I'm violating this prohibition. And I want to point this out. Even in a situation where I don't necessarily agree with your reasons. I remember just a few years ago was the first time that I personally had the, 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 the experience of teaching a class and a student came up to me and told me their preferred pronoun. I was so grateful because I would not have known on my own how to refer to the student. It was not intuitive. And they gave me the way to be able to refer to this person in a way that showed respect. What a great, what a great sensitivity to give someone the opportunity to speak to them with respect. That's exactly what should happen. And it is absolutely prohibited to call a person in a, an, by a term or, or a pronoun or that upsets them. That is not what they want. There are two ways to make sure that we're always in accordance with these rules. One is before I open my mouth, simply to ask myself the question, would I want another person to say this to me? That's number one. And number two, think before you speak. Don't just speak first and think last. It's very, very common. There's so many opportunities when we might, God forbid, say something insensitive. But if we think before we speak and we consider, would we want to hear this? If we were in that person's situation, again, if, if we were in that person's situation, would we want to be spoken to like that? Then we can try to fulfill what the Torah teaches us in this week's parsha, the losonu is et reyehu, to be very careful never to cause pain through the words that we are using. My friends, I want to wish you a great Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing you soon in person.